few weeks back, we had a fellow on the show named Jeff Davidson. The episode was called Riding a Dirt Ribbon North to Alaska. Jeff is a motorcycle journalist and avid rider, and he was telling his story about his first trip riding the Dalton Highway. Jeff talked about the Dalton's reputation as a difficult road and how he debated riding the Dalton. Right up until the last minute, he wasn't sure he was actually going to continue on north. It was a big step for him to tackle this northern remote road. He talked about how he pushed himself out of his comfort zone to ride the Dalton. He also talked about many of the riders that he had met along the way and how one rider, one rider stood out as an inspiration for him. That was Jackie Lang. Jackie had come over from Ireland with her partner Davide in part to ride the Dalton, but then continue on down to South America. And Jeff was particularly taken by the fact that Jackie was a relatively new rider with little experience, and yet she had the confidence to ride the Dalton. And even as he rode along with her, they spent some time together. He was impressed with her ability to ride and the way she confidently handled her motorcycle. Well, today we meet Jackie and Davide. And to say that Jackie was full of confidence when Jeff met her on the Dalton Highway couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, when we aired Jeff's story, Jackie heard the way he described her as an inspiration, and she was shocked. Because part of Jackie's motivation for that trip was to overcome the anxiety that had been infiltrating her life up until then. She was on a quest to overcome her lack of confidence. And Davide... Well, Davide's been dreaming about a trip like this all his life, riding off into the unknown, so to speak. For Davide, it's all about challenge, pushing his own limits and exploring wild areas that he just can't get in Europe. So we have almost two sides of the spectrum here. One, a new rider looking to overcome anxiety and build confidence. And the other, an experienced rider who wants to push his limits on the frontier. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Dragoon. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Yeah. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Graham Jarvis. Quentin Smout. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Um, my name is Jackie Lang. I'm from Ireland and I'm a veterinary surgeon specialising in small animal orthopaedics. My name is Davide. I am originally from Italy. I have moved to Ireland about 23 years ago, 1999. I have had a career, all my career, with working with horses, initially as a professional rider, instructor, 
And then I moved on into learning physiotherapy and chiropractor for horses. And I had a very successful, lucky career and have been able to work with top horses around the world, including Irish teams. And I've been comp- participating with my clients in two Olympic games. So I have been very lucky. Jackie Davide, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Jim. And thank you for having us. So, Jackie, can you just talk a little bit more about what you do? I'm a small animal orthopedic surgeon. So um, a huge amount of my work is um, specializing in advanced surgery for cruciate ligament rupture in dogs. That would be a huge aspect. But I also do uh, fracture repairs. uh, So broken bones after maybe a dog's hit by a car. I do spinal surgery if there's a prolapsed disc in the spinal canal. And um, I do also some other advanced soft tissue within the uh, the veterinary group that I work. So very specialized. And I, I'm assuming yes. that, that a bunch of vets will bring that type of work to you. Yes. Yeah. I take referrals. So I'm very fortunate that I work in a practice that has about 15, God, he's always expanding, but he has about 15 clinics. So I do all the internal refers, referrals. And then I also get other referrals from other uh, veterinary branches within Dublin. So it's quite specialized. When you're dealing with these, the animals that come in that have been injured, let's say hit by a car or something like that, is that stressful or is that satisfying? Because I'm thinking stressful when you see the animal come in and you see the damage, but satisfying that you can do something about it. Well, then it's a combination of both. Um, it, it is very, it is stressful when they come in. Certainly the stress I feel would come from the owner's angst and the, and the owners obviously are incredibly upset. There's always you know, um, emotions, very high emotions at the time, concerns over money. And there's, you know, there's, there's a degree of, of urgency because we, we, you can't wait for too long. You need to, to repair the fracture. And then, um, unfortunately it doesn't really matter how well something looks on the post-operative radiograph, no matter how nicely you've done your fracture repair, complications can still happen. So you don't really relax until, um, they are back walking and they're comfortable. But then, you know, it's fabulous when they, when they bounce back in the door at their checkup and their weight bearing and the owners are happy, then it is fabulous. It's incredibly fulfilling and you know, you've done good. So that is one part I love about it. Right. So that does sound like a little bit of stress though, because you've got the stress of things that you can't control in many cases. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately I, I am the type that I, I, I find it difficult to detach myself from then the emotions of the owner that comes in. I want to be able to do everything for them. I want to obviously take the pain away from the animal. That, that has always been obviously my drive, the animal's welfare. But then there's a very human aspect. You understand that um, animals are a huge part of people's lives. They are their companions, sometimes their only companion. Yeah. And you desperately want to then help that person too. So um, yes, I, 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 I always find it very difficult to detach myself from that. And, and certainly that, that wears you down a little bit after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I can wears me down. Other people cope in a different way. Um, so yeah. Davide, so yes. what is it you do? Uh, basically you imagine horses are athletes to all extent. So they perform at a sports event. To whatever degree of uh, competition they compete at from amateur to top level. And uh, they're not, they're all for the professional rider that are also their source of income and competing for them is how they make money. 
And uh, so the, the horse is not only an animal at that level, becomes a pure athlete. So we need to specialize in treating them as we would treat a rugby player or a soccer player to maintain their physical health, their uh, body completely functioning to the highest degree to compete at their maximum level and to try their best possible to maintain them to be injury free mm. so that they can compete, con uh, they, they continue to compete and they continue to generate revenue for the professional riders. They provide enjoyment for the amateur riders or also bring the colors of their nation to the highest competition, championship, European mm, right. world championship, uh, Olympic game. So yeah, you see a, a horse be from becoming, from a normal grazing animals, like they would be in nature, becomes top spec atle athletes. And uh, so it's, it's a really interesting way to transform a, a horse that is generally grazing in a field to become a top world-class uh, athlete like Ronaldo or <laughs> any of the top artists that compete at the different specialties at different sports. And what you didn't mention in there was that this is also a massive investment for someone. <laughs> that horse Absolutely. has to cost it. As I said, for the, the professional rider, are entrusted with a lot of money Yeah, that either they invested themselves, but generally there are wealthy owners that are, thank God, interested in the sport and they purchase the horses and maintain the horses and uh, because their career, not only the initial purchase price can be very high, but to produce a horse, a, a horse throughout his career for, because they have all going well, they have a quite a long career that can expand from, from four year old when they're starting to develop into a, an adult horse, four, five, six years old, but then their top peak of competition will be between 10 and 14. So they have about 10 years of career where the horse has to be minded, taken care of and brought around the world, most of the time on planes to be transported to the major events. So it's a huge investment, absolutely a huge investment. Yeah. And you're, you're a chiropractor for the horse? That's right. Yeah, I do uh, physiotherapy and chiropractic on the horses. I don't know if you've ever been to, probably you have been yourself to a physiotherapy occasionally or to a chiropractor. No, and you, actually, actually I, I haven't been, but, but I did grow up around horses and my, my thought process is that, like, how do you know if the horse, and I know, you know, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> how do you know if the horse needs chiropractic work? Because I mean, I always think of chi chiropractors, you know, you, you have a problem with your back or whatever it is. And you talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you, you observe the horse, the way he's moving, the way he's performing under the saddle generally, or without the saddle. And you start to notice a uh, difference in the way they are moving, the uh, reluctancy in performing a certain exercise or not performing well in competition. And so together with myself and the veterinary, the veterinary that is also in, in charge of the horse, we assess the horse throughout all of his body. And uh, sometimes they need veterinary intervention, but I can have a drug-free treatment to release some uh, discomfort, muscular pain or spinal misalignment that create reluctancy to work. And uh, so that it starts to feel better quite immediately, actually. 
and uh, that helped the horse to remain injury free. So to stop uh, or reduce the chances of him to having to be mm. taking a holiday. And so you observe the horse moving, you, you refer to the riders and then even myself after a while, when I have worked with a specific horse for quite a long time, then you spot it immediately when something is not right, if something is not uh, feeling good. And the horse will let you know as well from his body language, his behavior and, and uh, the way he's moving, the way he's even simple things like the way he's, if he's lying down at night for sleep as normal or gets up or is stiff getting out of the stable or as I said, is reluctant to exercise, is reluctant to jump or to run as fast as normally can do. And all these details comes together and we assess initially what is, what is the problem, which area more likely is to be involved. And then through a, a complete body assessment, then we work and uh, improve it. It sounds that like a whole the, process that they, that a chiropractor for humans doesn't have to go through. I mean, you just walk in, you say, this is what's bugging me. Okay, exactly. let's, <laughs> move, let's move on to getting <laughs> yeah. this thing done. Whereas you're, you're really yeah. doing, so what I'm curious is, can you look at a person and see the way they move and maybe yes, get some? I, I, I have started my, my career actually treating humans and then I have transferred all that part of the knowledge into treating animals and the humans have obviously they, they tell you their problem and what happened the horse it doesn't a, ho you know, a person come in and say i have a problem in my left hip because yeah. i fell on ice the, last week and uh, such and such happened the horse most of some some of the injury happened when nobody's supervising him it could happen in the stable it could happen when he's in the field running and or falling over and sometimes it happens in competition so obviously everybody knows exactly what has happened but Obviously the horse cannot tell you when you don't know. So you need to, there is a lot of, is, there is a procedure that you take on to find where the most likely problem, which area of this body is compromised. Mm. And, uh, and they talk to you in a way of obviously body language indicates you which part of the body is the one that is more likely to be in trouble at that time. No. And what I'm curious is though, when you look at being that you, you, you've perfected this or, um, of, of figuring out what the horse needs without the horse, obviously telling you anything. I mean, I hope the horse isn't talking to you at this point, but no, there are people who claim they can talk to them, but uh, I haven't that. reached to that level yet. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I'm wondering, do you ever look at a, at a human when they're, when they're walking around and moving around and thinking they've got a back issue or, or they've oh, got, yeah, for sure. Oh, you do. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, or else even other horses, I see, I, I can see lame horses in movies. It has happened oh, many times right. that you actually see, you know, a cowboy movie and you say, oh, it's lame on the left front. And <laughs> because you're so focused on it that you don't even concentrate on it. It just comes and it, look, your, your eye brings you to that. Or else the person that's walking on the street and uh, you notice that their pelvis is misaligned and they are walking funny or or they're carrying an old injury or yeah, you spot these things yeah. oh, after wow. a while. It becomes second nature. You don't even want to observe it, but yeah, but you, can't you help just it. see it. <laughs> yeah. So do you, does this have any crossover into riding motorcycles? Uh, the, the, the riding motorcycle, it's, it's like riding a horse that does exactly what you tell him <laughs> most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> 
Well, I grew up riding horses and my horses did not do exactly, exactly. <laughs> what, the, what I the, wanted so the motor, them to do. The, the motorbike does, that's the difference. But there is a lot of similarity, obviously, from weight distribution and the, the mechanics, obviously, of riding a bike or oh, riding right. a horse, especially if you're competing with the horse at, at, a, at speed uh, and at a certain angle on bends. And so you, 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 you feel the, the similarity between riding motorbikes and a horse. And uh, yeah, it's... It's also, as a, it's a totally different experience, obviously, but there are similarities on the way you put weight on the pegs and riding a horse, you would distribute your weight on the stirrups to achieve a certain performance with the horse over a course of fence. It is quite similar how you ride mm. off road on your pegs and how you ride a horse on your stirrups and the weight, how the, you, you change your weight and your position on the saddle on both. It's quite similar. And getting on and off the bike is really yes. from a horse, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We get on and off the left side because off of the horses. Left side, all of oh, exactly. That's the that is uh, perfect. Yeah, we all get on on a motorbike and on a horse from the left side. So yeah. it is. There are similarities, obviously, from the way the 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 riding of motorbikes has evolved from uh, from riding horses in the beginning. Well, I, sure. I was told that it was to do with riding with a sword. And having the sword on the... On your left side, yeah, because most side, right. of, most would be right-handed, so your sword will be on your left flank. Right. And, uh, and so if you were r getting up on the opposite side, the, the sword will be in your way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for the motorcycle, I, I almost never ride with the sword anyway, so... No, I, I, <laughs> I bring the rifle sometimes, but not the sword. <laughs> but we still do it anyway, just out of... Out of I don't know, tradition, habit, I have no idea. Uh, conformity. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting point, yeah, that we, we, we do the same, yeah? We don't, nobody sits on a motorbike starting from the, from the right-hand side. Yeah. Oh, well, unless you're really stuck in a tree and then you have no choice. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not that we haven't got on from that side, but it's not, it's not the normal side. But uh, you, you guys are in the middle of a, a trip. Is it around the world trip? And, and can you talk about what's it all about? How did you, um, what were you planning? Wait. You go ahead, Jackie. Yeah, you start. Yeah, well, it, yeah it certainly started as a around the world trip that we, we plan to leave Ireland and uh, drive around east and continue the whole way uh, through Russia, getting to the edge of Russia and then go to the United States. And um, we had been, we've been planning this for a while. Certainly Davide had always spoken about wanting to ride a motorcycle to Vladivostok in Russia. And at that stage, I wasn't even biking. But uh, I got interested from him talking, I suppose, and, and I, I, I missed the horses myself and wanted to, to, to get on something. So I started doing lessons. And then I suppose during COVID, it was good. We were talking more about taking a long trip and, and certainly COVID was good. Um, oh, the motorbike was good for getting us out during COVID for actually getting me out practicing. Um, and so we, we, we planned then and we were going to ride around, around the world around the world east and we left last February all excited COVID was everything was opening opening up again borders were opening up and we thought right that this should work and uh, within a week of leaving Ireland unfortunately uh, the uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and um, so that was putting that that immediately obviously put into doubt whether we'd be able to drive ride through Russia because our plan was uh, to go through Russia, into Kazakhstan, into Mongolia, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, try and get all those countries um, and, and, then, and then fly to America from the edge of Russia. 
So we were we were just unsure would we be able to get through the border. We didn't know what was happening. Obviously, no one knew what was happening. Would it be resolved fast, or or what was going to go on? And so we kept on we kept on moving. We we had a lovely trip. We went through Europe. We went through Turkey. But certainly, as we got closer to Georgia, we realised it uh, it wasn't resolving. And we we did consider would we try going through Iran, try a different route. But I suppose the world had only just opened up from COVID and uh, obviously stories of people getting stuck in countries for six months and and, and we weren't sure what was going to happen with the war. So we thought it was, and, and we, we had always in our mind, the Dalton Highway, doing the Dalton Highway to the Pruda Bay in Alaska. That was always a huge goal for us on our trip. Mm-hmm. So we just didn't want to miss that. We didn't want to risk getting stuck somewhere. So we decided to turn around. We would reroute. And we went back to London and then we put the motorcycles on an airplane to New York and we rode uh, New York all the way to the tip of Alaska. We made it to the Arctic Ocean and then we continued down to Los Angeles. And then, well, I suppose just things change when you're already on the road and we didn't want to stop. So uh, we just decided then we would just keep on, on heading south that we'd gone to the tip of Alaska. So we, we really needed to go down to the end of Ar- Argentina. So we just kept on going. We're still going. What about work? I mean, because you guys are sort of at the height of your careers, I, w- I would think at this point. Is is it okay to just walk away? I I felt it was it's a good time for me to take a break. Certainly, I felt that I am in a really good place. I, am, I needed something different. I needed a new challenge. I was doing routine work. And uh, I, I gave my boss lots of notice. We'd been planning this for so long. Um, I gave my boss lots of notice so that he'd be able to find a replacement surgeon. And uh, I've known Charles for years. We were in university together and, and he was super supportive and understanding. So yeah, I I, uh, I was able to leave work there. And uh, Davide? For me, it's a bit different because I, I am self-employed. Obviously, I have a, a huge number of clients. But at the same time, I worked for the last several years in training uh, people with my methods. So I have three people here in Ireland and one in Italy that are actually working with my methods so I could refer all my clients to them in my absence. And uh, so I was a bit of peace of mind that my clients would have been looked after. And, uh, And it's easy enough in a way that I'm being... And basically everybody would just wait for me to come back and uh, I would have no problem in acquiring if, if not the majority, most of the clients that I want to take back on, on my return. So it's, it's a very privileged position. I have to say to be in a way that you can just leave for a year and, uh, your clients will be happy to wait for you. Okay. So I, when you say you train, because what I'm thinking here, as soon as you're saying that, I'm thinking, wait a second, you just did yourself out of a job. <laughs> you yeah. just train people to do exactly what you're doing. And then you've walked away and you think you're going to come back and, yeah. and hey, I'm back. Well, we don't need you now. Thank you very no. much. But <laughs> obviously there's a level of extra expertise that you have that you just Correct. can't pass on that easy. Exactly. And to be honest, it's a way of, uh, first of all, get my clients used to other people that are using my same exact method so they will achieve the same results. Uh, And in a a way I can, when I come back and I decide to take on, I can decide to leave the majority of the client or the majority of the horses that are not maybe competing at their top level with my pupils. 
and then maybe do the specialized cases, the difficult uh, cases, the horses that are really not responding in the other way and see if we can right. find something new. Uh, so change it up work. some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Teamwork that I would love to obviously to still be involved with and uh, that I have obviously more experience than my pupil. So yeah, there is, there is a lot of opportunity out there, even after a year that you leave and you, and you don't show your face for a while. Right. You'll be missed. You'll right. be missed. So, Davide, why do you want to do a trip like this? What, what is your impetus? Uh, again, as J Jackie mentioned, I always had this in the back of my mind. I have, unlike Jackie, that only a, a recent biker, I have had motorbikes forever in my life. And growing up in Italy, they were a way of transport, not only a bit of fun, but also a way to go to, to use it as a transport in Italy. And moving to Ireland... After a few years, initially, I, I really, the weather was not really suitable. So I didn't have a motorbike for a while, but inevitably I started buying another one and another one again, and I started <laughs> to ride. And, and the idea, yeah, my idea to drive Vladivostok was, I don't know how it came up, to be honest, in the first time, but it, it's, it's years and years and years ago that I had this idea in my head to, to drive to Vladivostok. And, uh, and then the thing started to take shape and unfortunately COVID happened and that gave us time to actually get Jackie on board because at that stage she didn't know how to drive a motorbike. Oh, oh so was the original plan going to see Jackie as a pillion? No, no, oh, Jackie was wasn't there in the first, and initially when oh, I started thinking I of this, oh, there, okay. there was no Jackie. <laughs> there was or, no Jackie. Awkward, awkward Jim. Right, right, okay, sorry. <laughs> I know, I was, uh, to be honest, I never considered to do it with a partner at all. I, it was meant to be a solo journey and uh, one of them things that you think as a kid and then it grew up into being an adult dream. And uh, But uh, it, it, actually everything worked for the best in the way that during COVID, being working with animals, we, we were not due to lockdown for us. It didn't work. So we could still drive around and uh, to go see our clients. Then instead of driving the car, we would drive the motorbike. Oh, right. And so it, that was in a way, unfortunately, it didn't work well for the world. But in, for our personal uh, growth, especially for Jackie, she gained mm. a lot of experience because the roads were quiet. Mm. She could drive their motorbike to to go work and uh, to see their and and to see clients even during the weekends that we had worked during the weekend. So in a way, she got a lot of experience in a short period of time. That then, when we decided to go for it, then she would feel more confident. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's a perfect time to learn to ride. And right. same same as the people who were actually traveling or managed to stay in a place, they got to see sites that no one has ever seen where, exactly. you know, these, these, these tourist destinations with no people. I mean, it's, it's just uh, incredible. So there exactly. are some stories that have come out of COVID where people have had incredible experience. As a matter of fact, I would say a lot of people have had something unique happen to them through that ordeal that we all went through. Sure. And, and it's not it's all of incredible. them are negative. Fortunately. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of good stories that happened as a result of it. But Davide, what I'm what I'm curious is why? Like, why go to Vladivostok? Why is this a dream for you? What are you What are you going to get there? Uh, a challenge, obviously. Uh, I I have did I did a few small trips on a motorbike solo around here and England and Wales and but short one week ten days. So the idea of taking off and just be on the road for for a for a 
prolonged period of time really was in the back of my head. It, it's a challenge for me, it, a challenge to test my driving skills and, and to see places that, in my opinion, the best way to explore the world is a motorbike. And we have actually found out this in, in this trip that the opportunity that you get to visit remote places and to meet the majority of people while you're on a motorbike is incredible because you're approachable. Every time you stop anywhere in the world on a motorbike, you'll be sure that somebody will stop, shake your hand and ask you what you're doing and where you're going and if you need any help. And it's something that you do not experience when you're driving on a car or traveling on a, on an, on an SUV or on, on a camper van. Mm. And, and so the motorbike, that's the reason on motorbike or being in a remote part of Russia or Mongolia and have that freedom of deciding to see a little lane and decide, let's go see where that goes. And, uh, and the reason is this, it's just a challenge to set myself a goal of, uh, Motorbikes always have to want to get to the end of the road somewhere. <laughs> so if it's, if it's not Prudhoe Bay, it's Vladivostok because you cannot drive right. anymore east. Or, or uh, if it's not Prudhoe Bay, then Ushuaia because you cannot drive anymore south. <laughs> right. That's true. And that's the allure that always gets us when you go by a road and you look at it and you think, I wonder where that goes. Exactly. And you, and you want to follow it to the end. I mean, that makes sense. You, yes. You want to make it to the end and see how, <laughs> how deeply you can get stuck somewhere. <laughs> You cannot turn around. Exactly. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it is, I don't know, it's a, it's a human, uh, human challenge that bikers seems to have. And I definitely, I'm not immune from it. I love the idea of, <laughs> and obviously you look for trouble sometimes and sometimes you find it. <laughs> you look for trouble. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> curious if, if Jackie's going to say the same, but we'll, we'll get to Jackie's. Uh, I would say she disagree most of the time. And, uh, <laughs> let's go see what's at the end of that lane. <laughs> well, you well, go Jackie. first. Jackie. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. I have some things I want to tell you about, which I know you're going to want to hear about these. When we come back, we've got a lot more that we're going to talk about. Stay with us. Hex Innovate is the mastermind behind the GS911. The GS911 is a diagnostic tool for BMW motorcycles that gives you an insight into what could only have been seen before at the dealership. And now you can check the health of your BMW, see fault codes, do diagnostic work, even reset the service reminders on it. And the great thing is you carry this device in your pocket. Connect it to your smartphone, it goes where you go. So that fear that everyone has of getting stuck with a, a dead modern motorcycle and nowhere to look because it's all closed up, that's all opened up with the GS911 if you're riding a BMW. Hexinnovate.com is the website. Another thing, by the way, that Hex is known for is the EasyCan system. This little device plugs into your motorcycle passively, meaning it won't mess anything up, so much so that the manufacturers actually like this device because it stops people from messing up their motorcycles. Yet it allows you to connect all kinds of accessories to your motorcycle without adding switches and running tons of wire, or most importantly, causing electrical problems. It's a plug and play system. It's available for Triumph, Husqvarna, Harley, Honda, KTM, BMW, and soon it's going to be there for Ducati and Yamaha. Hexinnovate.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Hexinnovate.com. 
Com. It takes just a few minutes to install. It feels like a very high quality product. It's hardly noticeable, yet looks almost as if it's from the factory. But most importantly, it works perfectly and it makes riding even more fun than it already is. I'm talking about the Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock is the brainchild of riders Heidi and David Winters from their round the world trip to up. David had broke his wrist and needed to ride before he had his full recovery. Yet no matter what he tried, he couldn't find a, a throttle lock that worked for him. So when he got home, he thought he's going to make a great throttle lock for himself. Well, he got into it really seriously. And by the time he was done, this beautiful piece that he had made, other riders wanted it because it was different and better than anything else on the market. So Atlas Throttle Lock was born. The Atlas Throttle Lock has two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage. And I'm telling you, when you press these things, they have a positive tactile feel that tells you exactly what you're doing without looking at it. And that is key for a throttle lock. Not only that, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. And of course, that's key for any product. The Atlas Throttle Lock relieves finger, hand, and wrist tension, and it makes riding just more fun. And because it fits so many different bikes, you can just remove it off your bike and install it on your other bike. It takes just a couple of minutes to do. The Atlas Throttle Lock is for riders in the know, the riders that understand the value and importance of a good ride and quality equipment. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. We hear a lot about peg weighting all the time. Why? Because those tiny little platforms are the key to stability and control of your motorcycle. But to get the most out of them, you need quality well-designed foot pegs that add width for increased leverage without changing the geometry of the foot peg in relationship to the shifter or to the rear brake. You need increased connection between your foot, your boot rather, and, and the peg, and they need to be incredibly tough, incredibly tough, because they're down there and getting hit all the time. Every time you drop your bike, usually the foot pegs will take a good brunt of the, of the hit. So where do you find that? IMS Products. IMS Products has been doing this since 1976. And over the years, almost every off-road racer that has stood on a podium has used IMS parts. And that pedigree is in the full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs from IMS Products. Everything from their large ADV1 and ADV2 right on through to the core enduro. A peg style has been designed for every type of riding style for adventure motorcycling. Now, the quality can be seen in the confidence that IMS has in their own products because all of these adventure motorcycle foot pegs are made of cast certified stainless steel. They're made in the USA and get this, they're warranted for life. That's how good it gets after 47 years in business. IMS products is owned and operated by riders just like us. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, well Jackie, for you, <laughs> what's your motivation? What was your motivation going on the trip? And, and, and I'm not going to let you off with just saying, well, you were just going because Davide was going. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose um, deep down, I, um, I've really had quite personal reasons. And uh, certainly, you know, in my 30s, as I've gotten older, I found that uh I've I've always been unfortunately a stressful, stressy type of person. I worry about things, and certainly anxiety 
um, has been an issue. Um, so I, I certainly found as I was getting older, I was getting more and ang- anxious and, and, uh, and I was really hoping, I suppose, you know, with, with part of it might've been maybe just getting away from the anxieties of normal day and setting a, setting a new challenge. So, so, so for me, certainly it was setting a challenge, but hoping that this time it was more of a physical challenge that, uh, you know, I could, I could push through it and, and certainly knowing that if you can get through something, then, then maybe that would, would, would cure my nerves and I could get braver. And, uh, yeah, so, so I, I certainly wanted to, obviously I wanted to go with Davide. I wanted to, I didn't want him getting away. Um, <laughs> but if for, for me, it was the personal challenge of fighting, fighting some of the demons in my head and, and, and pushing through and, uh, knowing that when I get somewhere, when I get to the end of the road, because there's never a doubt that I won't do it. And, and the feeling that when I get to the end of the road, it will be worth it. I know, I know it'll be worth it. So, but it's pushing through to get there. It's interesting. You, you talk about stress and, and it almost sounds like lack of confidence, yet you do something that obviously took so much confidence and skill and you've acquired so many skills, you've achieved so many things to get where you are in your work. I know, but there's, there's, unfortunately, there's a, there's a big gap sometimes between your self-confidence and actually what you can actually do. I, I, it's a, I know there's something called imposter syndrome where despite achieving and despite doing great work, you still feel it's, it's a bluff. That was, that was luck. Couldn't possibly be couldn't be skilled so that you can still, you can be good at what you do. And I, and I hope I am very good professionally at what I do, but then there, there can still be a lack of self-confidence um, that the next time, and I think that's really what the anxiety is, even on the bike, it's, it's, yeah, I might have gone through that dirt road. I might've done something, but the next time that's going to get me. And mm. so then it's fear that builds up of the next time I won't be able to manage it. So yeah, it's lack of, lack of self-confidence despite the fact that that doesn't parallel maybe the abilities. Um, and I'm not, the joke is I'm not a natural biker. <laughs> it took me several attempts to get my license. Um, I can, I can, I can still hit the front brake and, and drop the bike. And uh, that's, that's our joke as I'm not a natural, but I am stubborn and um, I won't give up and, and I want to do it. Oh, she definitely doesn't give up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that's, yeah. great. that's great yeah. for, for, especially for riding motorcycles, but you know, this natural biker thing, I, I, I know there's some people who are definitely more athletic. Obviously, we all understand this. Some people are just sort of naturally athletic. And I think that lends a hand to riding a motorcycle. But part of it is confidence. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about this on our rider skills all the time that you can learn the skills, but unless you have that confidence to push you through, as a matter of fact, I, I've been told by, by one of the trainers there that confidence is a one third of what it's going to take to get you through whatever obstacle you're trying to ride through. So it's a, it's a necessary part. And yes. sometimes people are lacking, you know, one of the thirds and they might have the confidence, but be lacking one of the other thirds and still get through. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, it's important for riding a motorcycle, that confidence. I don't know. I, I would disagree with that. Um, because I cannot have the confidence that I'll be able to do something, but yet put me in that scenario. We were, we were going down a mountain in, uh, in Honduras and we were going down a very steep mountain with very steep twisties and sand and rocks. And, oh, I was, I was very nervous. I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing very well that day. 
And then at one stage I was, I was going down a hill and uh, I was just using the back brake and the back tire stopped gripping and I was going sideways. And at that moment, I was no longer anxious because just your, your, your reflexes kick in. Mm-hmm. And it was the most bizarre thing. First, I got very calm and then I knew I would, well, I was sliding what I thought was, it doesn't look as bad on camera, but what I thought was I was sliding towards the edge. And, and then obviously I got a little bit of grip and then I nearly, and then we straightened, I straightened the bike and then I nearly lost the front and with, with, and I completely corrected it, pushed out with my leg, managed to go around the corner to the left. And that was that I would, if you told me I had to do that, I would have no confidence I could do it. But because I have so much experience now and because I have, we did some training, certainly off-road, and then you're just your your natural instinct. My natural instinct kicked in. So I don't know if confidence is necessary. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I suppose it depends. There are occasions where you just know that you don't have a choice and you just force yourself to do it. And uh, you've been very good at that, where there is only one road that we need to drive. And even if... Jackie was nervous then. She just did it egregiously and very well. <laughs> and uh, and I mean, it's, it's that she has achieved in the last four years and she has driven probably more than the majority of riders uh, in Europe that drive on their weekends. So she has done so much and she has, uh, she has driven that little bike in some <laughs> difficult parts. And so her confidence is, she still has the the fear of doing it, but now she has the ability to do it, even though maybe she doesn't think she does. (laughs) Yeah. But that fear can hold you back. That fear will make you freeze, choke, you know, when you get into the situation, whereas if you have the confidence, then you, you'll ride right through. You just, uh, I I would be driving that way. You know, I, for me, there's nothing I, if, if, if I can get grip, I go into it. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I already know that about you now because you're looking for a challenge all the time. So I picture this trip yeah. going along like this. You're riding along. Jackie's very concerned with what's going on. She's paying attention. She's trying to learn stuff and, and manage things. Whereas you're constantly looking at the sides for another little challenge. Hey, there's a hill oh. over here. Let's, <laughs> let's check out this road. Am, am I right? <laughs> And I'm going, no, we have to get to our, to get to our hotel tonight. Stay on the plan. (laughs) That looks so lovely. It goes down to the river. Let's go see now. It's getting late. Right. And it's interesting that the first time I heard your, your names were when we did the interview with Jeff Davison, um, called Riding a Dirt Ribbon North to Alaska. And what Jeff talked about was these two people he met, you two. And Mm -hmm. he particularly talked about Jackie being a new rider and her skill level and confidence in what she was doing. And it gave him a boost. That was incredible hearing Jeff say that because I love Jeff. We had a great time together and we're still good friends. And uh, I, I saw him as the experienced biker, knew exactly what he was doing. And then to hear him say that, that I had given him a little bit of confidence or inspiration to continue, that just blew me away. That meant a lot to me. Mm. And I think it's it sort of points to that that thought process that we we need to realize that uh, you know that that not everyone's confident with what they're doing. Not not everyone yeah. has, you know runs in full steam ahead, even mm. though they may appear that they are. You know, I, I mean, because I, I think when people think about travel, for instance, doing a big trip like what you're doing, I think it's easy to sort of get overwhelmed and look at it and think, I, I can't do this. I, I I'm not I'm not cut out for this. Yet you would mm. probably say something different if somebody asked you that. It's true. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think 
you certainly hit on a, on a good point and it's we've met so many people on our travels and so many bikers and it's interesting when you listen to them and yes a, a lot of people do have little nerves or little insecurities and you're not the only one and uh it's just taking your time and pushing through but there are also so many people that we meet that help us and help you know people help help each other and um, that you're you're never alone and you're never as stranded as you think you might be um because so many people help. I think traveling is amazing for seeing the good in everyone as well, because complete strangers will help you. And, and mm. we've met so many really good people. And, and does that change like this trip so far? Has that sort of even adjusted the way you think about people in general? Um, yes, I, I always think I always thought people were good, but it's really when you see it on a day to day and yeah, absolute strangers welcome you into their house. They help you. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal how good people are and, and, and you're, you're never, you're never really alone. Sometimes you just have to wait a little while and someone will come along and um, it's just having the faith and, and just, yeah, someone will come along and help. That's notable that you said, because you see it on a day-to-day basis. That's why travelers always talk about it because yeah, you're seeing yeah. it on such a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Like not that we don't recognize it in, in life every day, but I guess when you're out there putting yourself out and, and maybe you're open to it. Yes, you are more vulnerable. You're in a strange place. Um, you, you don't, you don't even know where to go for coffee at times. And I, and I know it's normal in day to day. People are very busy in your daily life and because you're fine, then they go around their busy life. But when you actually stop and you're traveling, um, you really see things and you watch people and you're more open. Well, we definitely found just maybe this is a side point, but that, um, People who come up to, to speak to us and people are interested in what we're doing, they're, they're generally very interesting people themselves. And sometimes we've been more interesting, interested to hear their <laughs> story. Um, then, you know, they started coming over to find out where we were from, but we start chatting and hearing their story and you learn so much about people and people are good. You, you mentioned that you had sort of this obsession or the, this interest in riding the Dalton. Talk about mm, that. Yes. You want to talk first? Yeah, the, uh, obviously Alaska, for European people, Alaska is a very far away place and a very remote place and uh, full of white bears and <laughs> and uh, dangers and... and uh, I, I'm sorry, you, you said full of white bears? Full of uh, polar bears. Polar bears, right. right. No, no, I, I knew what you meant, but I, I, yeah. I was just thinking I wasn't, I don't really associate that with the Daltons so much. No, but as I said, for you as a Canadian, you're more familiar with the landscape. You're more familiar right. with the, what's happening in Canada and Alaska at the end of the day is not so much different. What happened in Europe in relation to what happening in Alaska is a, a totally different everything from, from, from the climate to the, to the animals and everything. So it is a, it's a, such a remote, faraway place for us that has that concept of a dream come true to get there. Mm. So then of course, then the Dalton highways and all the stories behind this, some are true, some are not. And the, the, the danger of it. And then the ice truckers, the, and, and all that builds up towards this goal that is uh, obviously a dream come true for, I suppose. The majority of people that drive motorbikes have heard of Prudhoe Bay at least once in their lifetime or <laughs> would love to go there or mm -hmm. have been there. 
to be honest, one thing that we realize, there are a lot of people on the road. There are a lot of travelers. Motorcyclists. Yes, a lot of motorcyclists that uh, we weren't expecting, realistically. We thought we'd be, obviously, not not to be on our own. But uh, it's a busy road. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because there is such a small time frame where you can safely drive to that uh, everybody is there at at the same time. Well, well, that's exactly it, isn't it? You know, it's timing and it's the fact that it is the only road. Like it's it's, it's your road. road, right? So, I mean, yeah, everybody funnels to it. And and it's, you know, I, I can hear, I was going to say to you, I can hear what you're fascinated with is again, the challenge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, because it's such a remote roads in Europe that don't exist. There is nothing right. that, there is nothing, just a road for 240 miles, like this, the distance between Prudhoe Bay and Coldfoot. Nothing in Europe has such a vastity of nothingness with just one road and no stops and no petrol and no gas or no food. So that scares you in a way because we are something that we are totally unfamiliar with as riding in Europe or even North Europe or even East Europe or in Europe, you never drive that long before you find a house or or something or a shop or a little village. Instead, the, the tundra with nothing on it doesn't happen. So it's scary in a way, but it's, a, it's super exciting. <laughs> I want to see uh, this place. <laughs> did, did you ever go to fairs and stuff when you were a kid and go on rides? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you probably loved those rides, didn't you? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> the higher, the better. <laughs> right, right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So, so Jackie, for you, what's the fascination with the Dalton? <laughs> I have to admit, I had never heard of it before we decided. I went into this very delightfully naive and and we watched a few YouTube videos during COVID and that obviously uh, increased my anxiety, but it also increased my focus because at least if I can plan for something, then that's okay. And I knew this was something that um, the more I looked at it, the more I was fascinated with it and the more I wanted to do it. Well, you said anxiety and focus there, and then and then only afterwards you threw in there that, that you want to do it. So did you actually want to ride the Dalton or was it just a, an obstacle that needed to be dealt with? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, oh, you see, I, I wouldn't back down. It's a hard one because you get mixed up between did you want to or you just, you're, you're not going to not do it. Davide had said, oh, that doesn't suit our plans. It would still always be on the radar that, hmm, did I, did I give in too easily? I don't know. I think once he talked about it, I wanted to do it again because a challenge, because I would know in my heart if I had chickened out mm. rather than um, actually something happened. So, yeah, I did want to do it, but it took a while for, for me to look at it and watch it. Yeah, there's a lot of good videos on YouTube of people who have done it. So I was, you know, looking at things outside of the main scene of what they were filming to see and to learn as much and, and to, to equip myself with going on it. So, yeah. And you did super well. (laughs) Is that better or, or worse to, to have those videos? I mean, cause, cause if you just like, let's say, you know, you didn't have videos to look at, you could have read about the Dalton highway and you get a certain perspective of it, but the video, does that just create anxiety or does that help you sort out? Okay. I can see what it's about and I can handle it. No, I, I think you're right. I think it actually creates more anxiety. Mm. Because when, when people shoot the video and they talk about it, they're going to talk about, hey, this is really tough. And this is what mm. happened to us. And look, what we found this. And 
you'll, you'll know there's there's not the Delta now, but but there in Yukon and Canada and, and, and certainly in Alaska. And you'd you'd meet other bikers who would say, oh, God, there was an awful bit of roadworks. Jesus, that was really bad. There was mind that part. The bikers fell. I saw someone fall. Yeah. And God, I wouldn't sleep the night before. And then we'd get to it. And I was like, oh, well, that was OK. <laughs> It wasn't so difficult. It wasn't so right. bad. So you're right. Sometimes people telling you things the day before or or time before how bad something's going to be can, is, is 10 times worse. Yeah. yeah. And, and it can, sure. of course it can be. I mean, you know, if it's raining or something, that's going to change the experience yeah. for one person. The next person goes through yeah. and it's dry. Yeah. Yeah. But a certain amount of planning. I, I do I do like to have a little bit of yeah, that's, expectation. I'd um, say it's fundamental yeah. for, for such a trip. Yeah. We, we Obviously, we try to inform ourselves as much as possible and uh, sure. prepare the bikes, prepare for every eventuality. And uh, like we say, it's better to look at it than to look for it. So we have spare parts for the bike. We prepare the bike to the, to the most, to be ready for most challenges that we thought we could face. Well, let's talk about the bikes for a minute. What bikes are they and how did you prep them? They're, they are CB500X and so Honda 500cc. Uh, that is turned out to be, it wasn't my initial choice. If, if I was doing this on my own initially, I probably, I would probably would have chosen a bigger bike, not a huge 1200. Definitely. I don't think it's this, and I wouldn't be happy to drive one of them myself, but maybe a 750, maybe a Tenere would be, would have been my choice. But the fact that Jackie needed something a little bit less demanding, a little bit lower, uh, we found that the CB500X really worked for her. So we purchased one of that she could practice on. And then the idea of having two identical bikes, obviously for us made a lot of sense to go together and having the same exact bike. So I bought a second one for myself. Mm-hmm. So the usual, you know, one spare part does both. And uh, so it made sense to have the, the exact same bike. But a hindsight, I have to say, I've, and we drove a lot of kilometers already. The, the bikes are over 85,000 kilometers now. Oh, wow. And uh, it was the right choice. And uh, I definitely didn't need, I definitely wouldn't have needed a bigger bike and uh, it would have been more of an inconvenience to be honest to have a, a taller heavier bike than it has turned out to be for our little hondas ah. they have been absolutely working spectacularly well and we met a lot of other people that actually were driving were riding the same bikes and uh, having the same feedback so and a lot of people with much bigger bikes that nearly regret taking the monsters on on dirt roads and were not equipped or or skillful enough to drive a 350 kilo bikes on 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 gravel instead a 100 kilo less for us it really made a huge difference and Jackie always had enough confidence and enough strength to control and feel good about it mm, and picking it up is is of course a different situation altogether course, compared to that, a 1200 that, that, that has happened let's say <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that hasn't happened or that has happened? <laughs> That's happened once or twice, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you prepared them and you made them a little stronger. I modified some crash bar to avoid any possibility of, uh, you know, damage handlebars or mirrors or, or uh, <clears throat> the majority of the vital parts and 
Then we decided, you know, the usual soft pioneer, hard pioneers, and and we made them in a way that we thought were working for us. And so far they have worked very well. And uh, we have the usual, a few tools, a few spare parts that we have needed uh, to repair bits and pieces that happen on the road. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I would, if I was doing this again, I would probably choose the same bike again. So fair play mm, to the Hondas. They are, they are cool little bikes. Yeah. Very, very reliable, cool little bikes. Yeah. It's funny. Everybody I've talked to that this ridden one says the exact same thing. Every, everyone's sort of surprised by them, which it sounds like you mm. were as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I have, I have had GS 1200 myself twice. I have had bigger bikes. I have a, a little Ducati scrambler here at home that I like do skidies with. Nice. And uh, <laughs> so I said, my God, the 500 CC with 47 horsepower. Where am I going with this thing? <laughs> How much fun could there be? <laughs> <laughs> How much fun can I have? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, it has proven that you don't need a hundred horsepower to go around the world. And, uh, and they have been super comfortable, even at high weight speeds. They have been very suitable to go off-road even for jackie so they are that middle range that i, I didn't need 100 horsepower and uh, i'm glad i didn't have the extra 100 kilo to to take on the road with us mm-hmm. so i the- i would recommend them for, to anybody that think things to go for a long journey or a short journey at all the Dalton uh, is well known for the gravel, for the flying gravel when a truck's going the opposite direction at yes. you. Also, the the mud that comes up off of the road when it's wet. Did you do anything to prepare the bikes for for that for the flying gravel and the mud? Not particularly. The, we had good tires that I thought were okay enough to challenge a little bit of mud, but we were very lucky. The weather was really in our favor. And uh, we never really found anything that was beyond the bike's ability. The flying gravel, it's something that it's inevitable. We discovered that trucks, sometimes they don't have a choice. They cannot slow down in certain parts of the Dalton Highway, especially where, where they're approaching a, 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 an oncoming hill. They need to speed up to get enough momentum to go over the hills. And uh, some of them are pretty challenging. And they're steep to drive them on a motorbike. So I cannot even comprehend how you can drive that on an 18 wheelers mm. fully loaded. So they need to go very fast to approach these hills. And if it happens that you are going in the opposite direction and they are speeding up to get a hill, you're going to get covered <laughs> with right. gravels. Mm. But we didn't see any. Some people have complained in things that we read and things that we saw that the oh, the truckers are there to get you. And uh, we absolutely saw none of that. We actually, they were all very, very kind to us. They would slow down if they could. They understand that we are vulnerable. And we, we, we were kind to them. We always waved. We slow down. We let them overtake if they, if they were behind us. And we, we, were, we were, let's say we were kind to them, but they were very kind to us. Yeah, in a couple of occasions, we got showered with gravel, but you see that in, in, there were no choice for them. They were mm-hmm. going for a hill and they were not going to stop because if you stop, you might not start again. Yeah. And the idea of reversing a big, <laughs> longer 18-wheeler down, reversing down the hill to start again, it's, you know, it's, it's possible. I mean, this driver, <laughs> then, by, then truckers are absolutely phenomenal driver, but they don't want to do it, obviously. 
What, what was your method that you guys developed for dealing with the gravel? Is it, is it slowing right down when the truck's going by or what did you do? Uh, yes, pretty much. And, uh, and avoid. That's the- generally my answer to most yes. things. <laughs> <laughs> just slowing down? <laughs> just slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Slow down yeah. And <laughs> no. <laughs> I well, I mean, the, the whole, the physics of it, right? You're slowing down. So the rock isn't hitting you at, the, at as, as much yes, of a speed, obviously. right? So yeah. not, you know, yeah. that's the obvious yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Slow down as much as possible. And, uh, and yeah, in, in deep gravel, then yeah, slow down, and sometimes you put your feet down, and there's no shame in that. <laughs> and you paddle, through, you walk through, you walk with the bike through a deep gravel, and uh, everybody done it, and there's no problem. It's not a, it's not a race. It's a, you want to get there in one piece. Yeah. And uh, there is no need to, there is no need to race or to show off what that you can t- drive through gravel at eighty kilometers an hour. No, we, we don't need to do that. And was it fun? Was it a Davide? Was it was it fun? <laughs> Absolutely, it was amazing. Yeah, Jackie, it just, was was it fun? The way down, the way back down, <laughs> the way up was nerve wracking. The, the joke the, is, the joke is, I need to do every road twice because the first time I'm nervous, and then once I fi- I figured I've done it, the second time is not so bad. So um, I could appreciate and enjoy it a lot more from dead horse back down. Oh, okay. Even though the road changes, it's really interesting. Even 20, within 24 hours, the road shifts and it changes and it's a different road nearly on the way back down. In what way? Just, just the, the, the gravel or the dirt or if there'd been rain overnight or um, shifting of some loose gravel. Yeah, there was places we definitely Sink, said. New sinkholes creating overnight. Yeah, sinkholes. Mm. There's, there's a lot of uh, maintenance as well. So something that maybe they had, after you passed the day before, they had laid a fresh layer of, of dirt on top and now it's deep and it's horrible the following day. And um, little things like that, it, it can change. When you um, said it's, it's better coming back, I was wondering if it was more like, you know, taking that one of those horses out that as soon as you turn and head back to the barn, they're just full of energy. <laughs> full of energy <laughs> once you take home. themselves yeah. home. Let's get out of here. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, because I, I know I've done it. I've ridden it once, so... There's no, uh, there's no ghosts or, or anything, any monsters in the closet. I've done it. So right. going back, I can, I can enjoy it a lot more. And I did. I, I certainly did. And it's one of our best memories. Still, mm-hmm. people say, what's your most favorite memory of your trip? And we always say the same thing. It's certainly the Dalton Highway. It's the most spectacular place we've been. And then meeting our friends and the experience we had. And yeah, the feeling of accomplish, accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you did it. You made it. You, you, you yeah. did what you thought might have been. Not possible, I guess, before mm-hmm. you left. That was your fear, yeah. right? That you wouldn't, yeah. that you wouldn't make it, but you're stubborn, as you said, and, <laughs> and, and you made it. So, and and yeah. that was one of your things, because what you said was part of what you were doing was, or at least your idea, Jackie, mm. it, with this was, you know, showing that you can do something physically and that somehow would, you know, overcome this, this feeling you have, or that you've been sort of battling with. Did you get that when you came back down? Was it like a switch flipped and all of a sudden... You felt better? For a short while. Yeah. Uh, for a short while, you, you get a confidence buzz and, and everything seems great. Um, and, uh, and now even reliving it now, I feel very exhilarated. But unfortunately, anxiety, it just doesn't go away. So if it hasn't for me anyway, and I, and I still unfortunately go back to if, you know, if, I, if I'm on a dirt road now, we've got a big day planned or something, I'll, I'll be getting very nervous from the night before. And uh, unfortunately, not, that, not, not as much. My you confidence, well, back you to you, Jim. Yeah, my confidence now has grown. Yeah. So that obviously is, is a significant factor that has grown. Um, 
but I would still get quite nervous on, on dirt roads. Yeah. But not as much. So, so with your confidence growing, you've sort of gained something there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would say, um, as my confidence has grown, then we've challenged ourselves. It's, it's funny. There's a number of roads um, that don't have the title of the world's most dangerous ro- road, and yet they can be more challenging and, and rough roads yeah. than the Dalton Highway. And we've ended up on some roads like that. And I suppose, yeah, as my skills have improved, then we've pushed ourselves a little bit more. Um, because if it's, well, if it's I, just I, a... F- I pushed it a little more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm pushing so. a bit more. Um, but on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a gravel road, um, certainly I feel a lot more confident and it is, it is better. But does confidence cure anxiety? A little bit, it helps. But as I said, I, I think the anxiety is, is the fear that next time I won't be able to do it. It's, it's fear. It's an irrational, you know, it's silly. And, and even I'll say to Davide, I'm just feeling really anxious. And he's like, why? We're on a perfectly good road now, a perfectly good dirt road right now. And I'm like, it's just, it's a fear of, well, what might be around the corner? What might happen at this time? This time I might not be able to do it. Mm. That doesn't go away. And, and that's what I have to say. This has been, it's, it's been good to learn to live with it. Um, that it doesn't go away, but it is just a feeling. And if you can just sit with it. Um, that the monsters don't always come and the, and the gravel road doesn't really, doesn't always deteriorate to a, doesn't fall away and you get to your destination. And if you hadn't done it, then I would regret it. So I have learned more just that normally, actually, and you know, I'm sitting here with two arms and two legs, no injuries. And usually so far, everything works out for the best and works out well. So mm-hmm. everything I've been afraid of hasn't happened. So I'm just trying to live with the anxiety and not let it stop me what I really, really want to do, which is tough. Um, yeah. Anxiety, the feeling of being anxious could, um, be associated with too much future thought. You know, you know, you've, you've heard this description before, I'm sure, where the feeling of being anxious or, or worried, it means that you're spending too much time thinking about the future and not enough time in the present. Mm-hmm. And I often think of motorcycling being almost a cure for that. Uh, the, the same as feeling melancholy can be too much past. You know, you're spending too much mm-hmm. time thinking about things that have happened and that may have went wrong or didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Whereas motorcycling, it almost pulls you into the moment. And, and, and what makes me think of this is your description of coming down that hill mm-hmm. where you said you, you didn't have to think about it, you did it, but you were in the moment. And that's why you weren't anxious. Mm-hmm. I, I know. And, and, and certainly I know people have described that being on a bike, you have to be very alert and focused. Um, unfortunately, I, I do seem to be able to multitask most of the time and be anxious at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, when you're absolutely faced with something where you need to be alert and react, then, then the anxiety disappears. No, I, I think just, what you just said just, points to the fact yeah. that you're not giving yourself enough credit because the reason <laughs> that you can do that and still be anxious is because you probably have more skill. You probably have more skills or maybe more confidence than what you really think because you can handle this and still worry about the future. That's what I always, I always repeat in, in the, in her, in her ears, because obviously we have intercoms mm-hmm. with our helmets and uh, that she's much better than she thinks she is. And she has, a, she has accomplished so much for a very novice rider, even if she's a little bit nervous occasionally. Mm-hmm. But one, one, one thing that she, even when she's very nervous, she's 
still well able to follow instruction in a way that I'm, I, I usually drive for ahead a little bit. So I, I, I see the road and I give her some advice on stay left, stay right, mind the rock, or there is a bit sun, stay to. So that helps her also to process the whole thing that she's, she's not exploring things by herself, but she has a little bit of tips and that reassure her a lot mm-hmm. that she give her that extra courage to just continue on. It's, it's stuff that I know. I think this is where the, the kind of the self-confidence comes in. It's stuff that I know, say going downhill, David, is like, just use your back brake. And I know that, but then when he says it, I'm like, right, I trust him. I wasn't necessarily trusting myself. And so I was getting nervous whereby when he says that I'm, oh, that's the right thing. So then it's okay. It's back to your self-confidence, I think. Mm -hmm. You managed to get all the way down to Panama. I I think your your bikes, you said are in Panama right now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So so what, you went through Mexico and I I think you had a pretty good time from what I understand there. What was Mexico like for you? Oh, Mexico was amazing. It was, Mexico was a reason that we're not in Argentina now because our original plan was to get to Ushuaia by March of this year. And then we hit Mexico and Mexico just explodes with color and culture and food and Mexico's huge. And we had no idea. And um, we just wanted to spend more time exploring Mexico. So then we said, listen, let's just slow it down. Let's enjoy Mexico and Central America. And then we can leave the bikes in Panama and then come back for South America. Um, so we had a great time in Mexico. And, and so many people, again, had told us scare stories about how dangerous Mexico was, how corrupt the police might be. And we we... Maybe we got lucky. We we might have seen some things that we kept on driving by, um, but we didn't experience any problems. And and we really enjoyed Mexico. We'd love to go back someday. You did quite a bit of exploring there, uh, uh, Davide. You, you said about some roads that you pushed it in. I think some of those roads were in Mexico, weren't they? Yes, yeah, some of them were in Mexico. Some of them were in the other countries in Central America. Right. We have had an amazing time again. We are glad that we decided to slow down because we would have been rushing to Ushuaia just to say that we got there, but we wouldn't have learned a quarter of what we have learned so far. And uh, yeah, we were, I was personally totally ignorant about Central America, Mexico as a country. And, and we, you know, personally, I thought it was pretty much more or less the same. They're all... Speaking back, speaking Spanish, I mean, how much difference can there be mm-hmm. between Guatemala and El Salvador or Mexico and Honduras or Nicaragua? And in fact, we discovered a, a huge difference in difference in their history, difference in their cultures, in their food, in people are different. They, they have different genetics and it's been an incredible journey. And sometimes we have pushed a little bit off road somewhere, (laughs) (laughs) maybe trying trying to find an alternative road to the main road to get one to get to one of the volcanoes. And and unfortunately, Jackie there got a little fall that was in in El Salvador Mm -hmm. that uh, we were trying to find. (laughs) And what happened? (laughs) There was a main road to get to one of the volcanoes in uh, in, uh, El Salvador. Mm -hmm. But then somebody, and then looking at the map, there was another road that obviously was dirt road that would go on the opposite side of the mountain, but it would reach the peak at the same parts where the main road would take you. So we said- And Google Maps said it was doable. And Google Maps didn't say that, but unfortunately we have realized not to trust Google Maps. I was just going to say, well, if Google Maps says it, then it must be true, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One one, one vehicle three years ago maybe got through or something, one bike. And we asked, uh, 
some of the locals and some they weren't really convincing that it was okay, but they never really told us nor even try. So we said, okay, let's go see. And uh, and then after three hours of struggling over, so, uh, uh, hang on. So this is this is a, a steep uphill dirt track. You maybe you get one vehicle car, but there's rocks and there's. Yeah, you got it four wheel drive anyway, definitely not a car. Yeah, so 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 this isn't this isn't a road. This is this is a yeah, farm track, I it would say. It's getting kind of remote and kind of rough <laughs> and uh, from from a from a track it became nearly single track and then leaves yeah. on the ground for a foot of leaves, so nobody ever drove there for quite a long time. Mm. But there was still a kind of a idea of a road. So we continued on and uh, I fell. And unfortunately Jackie uh, hit a piece of uh, pocket of sand on the end and she didn't really able to control the bike and unfortunately she hit the only big stone that was on the, on the side of the road uh, and uh, so her engine started to leak oh no this is this is catastrophic that no now jackie did you see this rock no 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 we will say it was the only wall in the place because it was completely under vegetation and oh, i went I down so fast i didn't see it it was it was kind of a low wall maybe that had been moved so people could get through or something and I uh, just wiped out, fell over. <laughs> and uh, we didn't, we looked and we saw, yeah, my windscreen, I think, was damaged yeah, at that time. Was, but yeah. we, we checked and we didn't see any other, other I'm going to say injuries. That's a very uh, veterinary term. We didn't see any injuries on the bike. <laughs> didn't see any damage on the bike. And we carried on. So we, we kept on going further and further up this mountain. Now, we had started about nine in the morning, thinking we would be at our destination maybe about 11. We're getting on. Half one, two, yeah. Yeah. Didn't, have, there. didn't actually have any water with us because we weren't expecting it to be so long. We'd taken off oh, our, no. our luggage and, uh, and it was when we stopped at one stage. So the road forked and this stage, Google Maps and Garmin, no one just doesn't even know that there's a track here anymore. So uh, I waited with the bikes and Davide walked up to see, could he see, does one of them look like it's actually a track someone's used? Because as he said, that there was, there was leaves and everything looking like this hadn't been used in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my bike was obviously on the side stand there when he was gone. And then when he came back, that's when we realised it had been dripping oil um, the whole time. Uh-huh. And we hadn't realised it had been holding the engine. So now we're right up the top, <laughs> quite far from home. I'm thinking, oh God, I've got to go the whole way back down. <laughs> and did you just say hole in the engine? Yeah. yeah, there was a, there was a, yeah. a, one of the rocks, unfortunately damaged the, the side oh, of the engine. Yeah. So there was a, it was not a huge leak, but a substantial one. Now, now is this a crack or is this a, a hole that's yeah. been punctured? It, it, it both a bit of a crack scrape and then ended up in, ending up in uh, having <clears throat> the whole side being damaged. Oh, no. And But the first, fortunately it was only leaking on the side and so if you put the, the bike on the central stand, the, the oil level will be lower that. So you would have a little leak when the engine is running, but not to be so worried that you couldn't go home. And in fact, we, we, we did manage in the end to drive back down the mountain and back to the place where we were staying that night. But you and didn't have your tools with you, I gather, because you took your luggage off. No, not, nothing, definitely not the tool to fix the engine. We had, I had a few of the usual spanners uh, just in case for, in case the chain comes off or thing. but ne- definitely I didn't have any epoxy with me. I had it in the, in the panels for, for fixing metal. So yeah, yeah we, we went home and then the next morning <laughs> we just reviewed the whole thing and uh, cleaned up the engine, fixed it. And, uh, they're still holding. Uh, well, the the <laughs> hole didn't 
pop a chunk into the inside of the crankcase? No, thank God, no, no. It was uh, only superficial enough not to, it, actually there was no, not pieces of metal were detached from it. It oh, was just scraped enough to, to find, to go through the metal, but not to break any parts that went inside the engine or, or else it, it would have been catastrophic, yeah. Davide, are are you not like when you're doing this and you're you're sort of getting in further and further and further? Does it not start to worry you a little bit? No, you not okay. That's what I thought you were going to say. And Jackie, I'm curious: are you going along behind Davide, just waiting for him to say, "Okay, let's turn around"? Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, no, he was counting me down to you know three. It says you know it says three kilometers or it says five kilometers to the fork in the or to the the T junction at the top. Um, right. At that stage, when we still had routing that was finding us, and we had met. Um, few people on foot. So they were bringing, there were coffee plantations. So there was life in this area. And, oh, I, and I, I think that is, that is the difference we did find in, in Mexico and Central America is um, in comparison to Alaska when there's no one and maybe the odd vehicle. Um, oh, right. living, there's a lot of people living in the mountains in, in Mexico and Central America. And there's generally someone around somewhere. And there is that kind of reassurance and you're not completely on your own. And the fact that we had met some people um, as I said, carrying coffee beans, walking down, you're thinking, okay, there, there is someone, there is life in this area. We're not completely ridiculous being here. Um, and then it, I, I will do the the counting myself down, right? You know, five kilometers and then four kilometers, right? We're nearly there. Then the, what, we got to go downhill. Oh, that was steep going up. <laughs> now we have to do it down. Yeah, that's sometimes yeah. the worst, isn't it? Knowing that you have to go through what you already went through, which was very <laughs> yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we, we did it. And then, the, but the next morning, this is how bad we are. The next morning we did uh, discuss whether we should try and hire some lighter bikes to see if the road was actually doable. Because we kind of, well, Davide felt like we had we had given up too, too easily. There was no road. There was a gate with, with gravel, you know, with the, the two tracks he'd gone up, one had a gate with gravel. And that was the one he thought from the directions that the, the, the men we met had told us that there was no way to get around it. And my engine was leaking oil, but he still didn't take that as a no. And he did want to hire a bike right. the other day, just, the next day. Just to see if he could get it. No, I get it, it totally. You couldn't put the bike on the side and slide it under the gate though. You, there wasn't that. No. <laughs> I thought about it. I, bet. <laughs> I thought about breaking the log. <laughs> Well, but then there is a there's a lot of people that carry guns there, so yeah. intruding into private property is not the safest thing to do. In, in Mexico, uh, in particular, in, in Central America, no, no. Yeah. They, they can they can get very nervous. And well, this was El Salvador, be, sorry, that, and yeah. probably El more Salvador, so. Yeah, but, well, but still, it, it, it's kind of yeah, the same. You know, no, it's, it's, uh, it's private property. You don't intrude yourself. Yeah, of and course. People have a different uh, different approach to intruders than they they do in. Uh, in Europe, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't really ask too many questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so it wasn't safe to even, no, it would have been silly. Yeah. So yeah, we came to the conclusion that, okay, we learned something, that road is, but the next time we are going to El <laughs> we, we go back. <laughs> and get smaller bikes and, and see. Yeah. What, is, that, is, your, is your navigation Google? Is that how you're doing it? Uh, I downloaded Google Maps on my phone so I can use it offline for the general general for the general driving around. Mm-hmm. And then we have Jackie on our bike has a Garmin, the one of the latest Garmin that gives us information again. So between the two, we've been able to navigate all around most well, of the time. We decided just to kind of detach a little bit, and so we didn't get uh, local SIM cards, so we weren't on the internet. 
And I, and I know other people we've met recommend ways and, and other, other navigation, but mm-hmm. we were working on not having the internet on our phones. So the downloaded Google maps and the Garmin were, were kind of how we worked. We thought right. that would be enough, but sometimes. That's sort of to add to no. the challenge, kind of like tying one hand behind your back if you're <laughs> yeah. playing basketball or something like that, right? We see how far I can go yeah. blindfolded <laughs> without hitting a tree. Of course we can do it with two feet, but let's try it with one. Yeah. <laughs> Take one of the foot back <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but is that, is that part of it? Is it just to to make it like more of a challenge, or is it just sort no, of to escape? No, no, no. It's just, it's we just, wouldn't be checking our phones every five minutes. Oh, exactly, <laughs> just to get off the scene. Yeah. It, it actually it turned out to be a, a good idea. I think that we were not obviously on the phone constantly checking this and that. Yeah, and about uh, at the same time we could have turned down our phone if it really were stuck somewhere and connect to the local network, but. It was a, it's, it's actually a good idea to just be offline until maybe you get to lunch somewhere if they have Wi-Fi or else in the evening, either whatever hostel or accommodation that we find it. One of the priority obviously was to have Wi-Fi and a secure parking for the motorbikes. They were the only two things that were paramount. The rest, if it was super clean or maybe <laughs> not so clean, or there were a few cockroaches on a corner, it wasn't the most important thing. Right. Once uh, the, the motorbikes were safe during the night and uh, we had Wi-Fi to, to do the usual connection and make sure everybody knew that we were still alive. <laughs> well, well, I understand that because, you know, I, I read a Kindle and I have the Kindle app on my phone, but I do find my phone, it's so easy to get distracted. You know, you get a pop-up mm-hmm. a message or whatever, yeah, but on the Kindle, and, yeah. Yeah, the Kindle's sort of pure. You just sit there and you read and, and you don't get interrupted by anything. Like an old-fashioned book? Like yeah. a book. Yeah. <laughs> like, you mean those paper things? I remember yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. still like books. <laughs> yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I don't, we don't have a Kindle yet. We haven't, we haven't no. uh, upgraded I, I, to that. I stupidly brought a book on our travels thinking, but no, like I, a paper I haven't book. had it. Haven't had, yeah, brought a paper book thinking yeah. about it on an evening when we were relaxing, but uh, no, I haven't had a chance to open it. Oh, it's it's, been, there's always yeah. so much to do or people to talk to or planning a route or planning where we're going, yeah. Are you guys camping at all? We were camping in uh, United States and Canada and Alaska. and uh, But then, unfortunately, we listened to people that discouraged us from continuing camping in Mexico and Central America. So we left all our camping equipment, tents and, and sleeping bags and so on. We, ke- we kept the, the cooking equipment, mm. but uh, we left it all in, in California with my brother. And to be honest, we regretted it and uh, we could have camped, we would have camped, we should have camped. And a lot of people have camped in remote parts of Mexico and Central America. If you were a little bit careful and if you were a little bit smart, it, it would have been perfectly safe. Uh, not to say that you can just go camping in anybody's yard, but obviously with a bit of attention, we would have, we missed a lot of opp- opportunity to camp in amazing spots, but unfortunately not having the, our equipment, then we had to go find in hostels or cheap hotels or whatever was available in whatever area we were. But yeah, if we were going to do that again, we would definitely bring our camping gear. Mm. It's not so dangerous to camp nowhere in, in, in Mexico, Central America. If you are just a little bit, obviously you can't, if you don't, see anything that's suitable that night, then you find the hotel. But there is a lot of beautiful places that we would have enjoyed more if we had our camping gear. 
Mm. And now, will you take your camping gear back with you when you go to continue the trip? Yes. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. We have already restocked on it. We just missed, we're looking for the tent that um, I haven't found yet exactly what I want again. But yeah, we are stocking up again because we will definitely camp again mm. from Col- in Colombia and further south for sure. Yeah. So you, weather you, permitting and obviously whatever the usual. Yeah. But just to have the ability, like you're saying, I mean, it makes exactly. sense, you know, the freedom, to, the freedom. The freedom yeah. 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 And sometimes you listen to people that give you advice and, uh, and then you realize that are the people that actually never actually visited the country that they discourage you from doing something in. Yeah. And, uh, or everybody you, has their own preferences too and, and their comfort correct. zone and things like that. So, I mean, it's kind of like when people ask for advice about tires or something, you know, oh, yeah. and, and somebody oh. will say, well, this, this tire is really good. And it's like, well, what does good mean? You know, yeah. and it, and yeah. it turns out it's, it's really, it's just our own biases and preferences, choice, all those yeah. things that, that form our opinions, you know. Everybody has their own opinion. So you guys are, are sitting right now in, in Ireland, getting ready to, to go back and continue your trip. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're going to come, to, of, of course, to the Darien Gap. What do you do with that? Oh. But that's already organized in we- a way. We went, we went to the end of the road in uh, Yavisa, uh, looking into the Darien Gap, but then we went back to Panama City and uh, the bikes will be flown across to Colombia. Uh, you physically um, rode to the end of the road? Yes. Yes, oh yeah. yeah. I'm surprised Davide didn't say, you <laughs> yes. know, people have done the Darien Gap. They've ridden the Darien Gap. This is possible. <laughs> Don't go there now, because there is a, we were just actually with another, now I can call it a friend, another guy that we met on the road uh, that he's been... Uh, traveling on motorbike for quite a few few years now. And he said, he was coming up with a, with a couple of great ideas, actually, how to do the Gadarian Gap. And, uh, but for this time, we'll pass on. Right. But maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, my, m- my bike will be flying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my one will be flown too <laughs> this time. But maybe the next time. Uh, yeah. yes, of course not. Mm. The Daring Gap is a different kettle of fish. It's a different story altogether. And uh, when... Uh, challenge or uh, or an adventure borderline on stupidity then you need to back off a bit and mm. uh, the daring gap is not is not simple and it's, it is very dang- it can be very dangerous and it's really not a place where you can you can drive a motorbike anyway so you, you end up pushing it across it yeah, and you're going to have to float it at points from what I understand. Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, we, so. we've done episodes about the Darien. People who went through the Darien, it always involves that. And and quite often involves, I mean, the last one we did, we, we, most of the bikes didn't even make it through, I, I think mm. is what it was. At least not I under... Oh, I think, that, no, I think, I think yeah. one of them's still there. One of them was left there. It was yeah. the, If it's the same group of people. I mean, I'd say it would be an amazing thing or an incredible experience, but... It's uh, it's beyond what we want to achieve. On, on, even for on you, a, that's that's yeah, going yeah, too I far, have to right? Say, yeah, yeah, it's a bit too far <laughs> for me. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I like I like a good challenge, but that's I think uh, I would regret it. Yeah, yeah. No, it does seem like it's, it seems like something else altogether. It's 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 a yeah, it's just, just a thing to do in itself if you're that type of person or looking through looking for yeah. that sort mm. of. Uh, adventure yeah. or, or accomplishment, I guess. Nothing, no, nothing, nothing part of a, of a very long journey on a motorbike. Yeah. No, I don't think it's, if you're, if you're, you can organize it, I'm sure as a single challenge and yeah. organize yeah. something to just do the garden gap as an individual part 
But you're not going to do yeah. it on your own anyway. And, and, and everyone who's done uh, it, you know. Jackie's I mean, got me anyway. <laughs> I wasn't meaning that. <laughs> I was meaning you're going to have to have lots of help. And of course, you're going to need guides. You know, I think it's the Kuna. The Kuna will do, it's will do the guiding. expensive as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you remember the guys were talking about thousands of dollars just to hire the guides and to yeah. get permission to go through it and safety because obviously you can find the wrong people. So you need the security in this journey and involve all the local polices and the border control. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a... Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering what would actually happen if you just wandered out of the Darien Gap and entered Colombia, just come out of the jungle and <laughs> you're looking for, where, where's the border guide for my tip? You know, where I, I where kind, can I get my tip? I think they're going to know full well long before you get there that, yeah, you're, yeah. that you're on your way. You know, it's that sort of yeah. thing. If people often think they can disappear in a place like that. But I mean, really, mm, for the most no. part, the people who live there are very aware of what's going on. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know. we, we saw that even in Mexico um, yeah, that, you know, pe- people know you're there and uh, there yeah. was this absolutely spectacular road, um, the 23, if anyone's interested, down from Durango. And it's amazing. It reminded of the Dalton Highway. It's remote and it's beautiful. And sometimes you, you pass the odd person on the side of the road. And we came to a police checkpoint. There'd be no one on the road. And we were wondering, did they stay here all day? It was very, three of them. And they asked us where we were going and what we were doing. And that's fine. And we went on a little bit further, saw somewhere for lunch and we thought, perfect, went in to have lunch. And about five minutes later, the police goes past us. And then we realised that I'm pretty sure they only went to that checkpoint went. because someone had said, oh, there's, there's, two, two, there's two strange bikers coming down the road. Right. And, uh, Go check them so out. So they know you're there. They, they, I, we think anyway, like yeah. we're, we're very obvious, not locals. Yeah, and, yeah, it would uh, make sense, wouldn't it? Somebody... I, Tell, told yeah. them or somebody informed them or mm. they knew we were coming. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they were very polite oh, and yeah. they had absolutely no problem. And we are always polite and we just do what they, what they tell us. And But it was clear that they just were waiting for us and then yeah. they were moving and then, on. And, so, right. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it, that happened several times. You know that people know that you are there. Mm-hmm. You, they don't, you don't see them, but they see you. But which is, is a, I mean, it could be a good thing. As well mm-hmm. as a bad thing, I guess, but but it could be a good oh, thing. Yeah. Oh, I think I mean I, you would suspect if it was the, it was the police waiting for us. I presume that it was locals concerned about what else the unknown coming through their village. Yeah. So it was for their own safety. They were like, you need to check out who these are. So or even just maybe just mention that that hey these people are yeah. are coming and then it's their job so they go out and do the checkpoint. Yeah. yeah, have something well, to do for an hour. And one girl desperately trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> she, nearly, she nearly dropped the bike on the jeep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, no, and do you guys speak Spanish? I, I would be, yeah, I'm not super fluent, but I, I can speak enough Spanish to get by, yes. Mm-hmm. I can order beer. <laughs> <laughs> so you've learned the important thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's actually very funny because Davide normally rides ahead. So he comes to the checkpoint first and, and he'll be speaking Spanish. But I have a better memory for where we, we've come from and where we're going because I've normally done the bookings and things like that. So mm-hmm. therefore, with the intercom, they'll ask him a question. He'll be like, oh, I'm not sure. I'll say the name. and <laughs> I'll be saying it in his ear. Where and, we came from that morning yeah. you know, the village or the town. Right. Where we used yeah. to forget where we came yeah. from. And they ask, where are you going? And where, where did you come from? I said, oh, Jackie, where did we come from? <laughs> And they'll be looking at me going, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't yeah. speak. And now she won't shut up. So you, yeah. you've extended the trip. How, how long can you extend your trip for? Is, is it open-ended for you? Mm. Yeah, kind of. It's mm. a, we, 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 we planned another six months anyway. So from when we shipped the bikes to Colombia, we, we would take a good six months, hopefully 
to use all the south uh, southern southern hemisphere summer to explore Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and Argentina and get to Ushuaia. And depending on when we get to Ushuaia, then decide if we drive back somewhere to ship the bike to Europe, back home, or or maybe not. It's a, There is a very, very bold long-term plan, mm. but it's very, very far down the road that is... Uh, it's very, it's basically impossible to organize anything about it. So, so you're, you're I, uh, hinting about the mm. possibility of, of continuing on. I'm just curious, Jackie, is that, yes, is that you is. as well? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we need to, uh, to organize logistics, but yeah, if, if we can make it happen, we'll see where we're, we're, I think we never intended to do Mexico and Central America and then the South America. So we've, and, and, and now we're being very fortunate that if we can get everything organized, we'll go again for a while and, We'll just then make a plan for what's happening after that once mm. we've done the next step. Step, Yeah. Well, hey, you two, it's been great to sit down and chat with you over this. And just, I, I can tell you're having such an amazing time. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to end up chatting again. You sounds like you've got a lot ahead of you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. No, thank you, Jim. Can I, yeah. can I give a little plug to our YouTube channel? Oh, sure. And, and, and I will do that as well. But yeah. Ah, so we're, we're documenting our travels. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, it's JND on the road. And um, yeah, so, so we're hoping people are enjoying our videos. The channel's growing. We're getting more involved with it and uh, we're really enjoying it. It's fun. So the videos, unfortunately, are a little bit behind where we are now. So our videos are still only in Mexico. Um, but we hope then once we get to South America, we'll stay more up to date as well. But we have a lot of, lot of material and a lot of stories to tell. So we're hoping people enjoy it. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you uh, so Jim, much, it's Jim. This, this has been, yeah, it's been fabulous. It's been so much fun. And uh, yeah, this is the biggest podcast of motorbikers in the world. Yeah. So it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That was Jackie Lang and Davide Focardi from their home in Ireland. They're back on the road now. You can check out their adventures on their YouTube channel, J&D on the Road. And of course, we've got that link in the show notes as well as some, some photos that you should see of their adventures all in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks of course to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you for being a part of this and listening to the show. Thank you so much. Hey, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. So, 
please don't just sit back thinking everyone else is doing it because this show gets listened to a lot every single day, every single week, every single month. Yet only a very, very, very small fraction of listeners decide to support the show. We would really appreciate it if you would become one of the elite people that appreciate what we're doing and support the show. Drop our website, adventureriderradio.com, click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you some stickers sent for you. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our raw show. But if you would check out our patron option as well, that would be great. I mean, just a few dollars a month. It, it, you know, it's next to nothing. Think about the enjoyment you get from listening to this, this show and then think about what you spend on trivial things like, I don't know, donut, coffee, a snack, whatever the case is. Really, just a few dollars a month makes a difference for us. We, we, I mean, if everybody did it, we would be just doing so, so great. Now, the other thing is, is our, the other show I just mentioned, Raw, that's the other show that we do. It comes out once a month. It's a separate feed. Um, it comes out the 21st of every month. So you, you need to subscribe separately. Find it anywhere you find podcasts. Just search for Adventure Rider Radio or drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and look at it there. Now, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Everybody, this is ADV woman Pat Jakes, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey!